You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Over 7 million different animals inhabit our planet. Grumpy face and all, grumpy attitude and all, the palace's cat is just gorgeous and it's incredible where it lives, right? I mean... What can they teach us? You know, interesting discussion on some of this rewilding, especially in predators. We've talked in previous episodes how difficult it can be. So I think that would be a good one for us to, to do a little bit of research and Come back to the listeners and tell them. Many species are in crisis and need your help. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com. Welcome to All Creatures Podcast. This is Chris. And I'm Angie. And this is the Grumpy Cat episode. Just, <laughs> okay, uh, and, end of the episode, right? Yes, Chris. This is the Grumpy Cat that the internet loves, and we're going to have a lot of fun learning about palaces cats and how, yes, they do look grumpy, and I think they behave pretty grumpy, but there's some really cool physiology for this super rare felid that's elusive and hands down super adorable. So grumpy face and all, grumpy attitude and all, the palaces cat is just gorgeous and it's incredible where it lives, right? I mean... We're going to talk a lot about their uh, their habitat. I mean, they can live high up in the mountains and the steppes. It's just, it's a really cool cat, and we're going to have a lot of fun today. Yeah, it is a, it is a cool cat. And uh, just because their faces, they do look grumpy. And so we're going to have a, a special guest come on and talk about when they worked with them a little bit. But the thing is, I, I mean, I love covering these small wild cats that we've, we've done. We have done the fishing cat. This it was, I remember the fishing cat. It was either the fishing cat or this cat. And so we went with the fishing cat. Now it's been a while. And uh, Paulus's or Palace's cat, however you want to say it, faces are just, they're so typical cats. They're just, you got to laugh when you see them. But they are so cool. They are amazing. They're amazing. Yeah, Chris, I will say I watch probably more YouTube videos this week than I normally do prepping for a podcast. Mm -hmm. And not that there wasn't a lack of material as far as there's some really awesome scientific papers out there about their habitat, their distribution, their conservation. So some cool things going on with that because the palace's cat is near threatened by the IUCN and their numbers are declining for several reasons, habitat destruction, poaching, things like that. But the videos, I just loved looking at the palace cat. I love watching it move. It's so elusive. One of the videos, I think from National Geographic or BBC, the wildlife photographer was staked out for 20 days high up, oh. in, the, high up in the Himalayas mm -hmm. before they even saw one. Mm -hmm. So we'll talk about how rare they are and they have a really big range. So they're they're hard to come by and, and researchers don't know a lot about them in the wild. So... My repro section today will, will be a little 
a little short. Yeah, yeah. But what that also tells me is that we do need more research on these cats to help conserve them is is just going to be really important in the future. No, yeah. And I mean, yeah, heavily fragmented. You, you're, we're going to get into it and talk a little bit about their conservation because they do have some major challenges. And they are, they're very elusive because cats are hard to see in the wild and they blend in so well with their terrain. And we'll talk about why and their physiology. They're poofy. There's a reason there. They're very poofy. <laughs> I have two slides based on their fur, a dedication to the palace's cat fur. Because it is the longest and most dense fur of any wild cat. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, well, you know, and I, I just want to say thank you to Diane and Kim for joining us on Patreon this week. We are getting booked in the next live between Angie and I. We're going to try to do it midweek. I know a lot of you are busy on the weekends. It's just, it, it gets tough with me in New Zealand and Angie on the East Coast of the United States. But we do make it work. So look for that soon. But thank you so much, you two. It, it means the world to us. And again, a cup of coffee a month keeps us going, keeps the website going, and you know pr us producing this content for you and as we give back to conservation. So thank you. Yes, thank you so much. And it's always fun when our listeners reach out via email to ask us questions or to engage. And then also on Facebook, we have a private group called All Creatures Group. Uh, where there's lots of discussions and articles posted and fun facts. So it'd be great if you joined us on there. And this week, I want to give a huge shout out to Guitar Girl 36, mm -hmm. who gave us a, ra a raving review, said the podcast is amazing and that they love it. They are also a, one of my college students. So there you go. Oh, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> stumbled on. I usually don't promote it too much in my classes, but this student stumbled upon the podcast and Every week is telling me, I love this one. I love that one. And I always say that the podcast is a great assignment for mm -hmm. high school, college students to learn more about the, the creatures or present mm -hmm. on their own and things like that. So thank you, Guitar Girl 36. And uh, yeah, please keep the reviews coming. It, it definitely helps Chris and I out a lot. Yeah. And I mean, it's like the palace cat, palace's cat, I didn't really even know existed. You know, like sure at the zoos, you see these smaller cats. You're like, oh, okay, cool. It, it looks like a house cat or same size but then you go into the literature you see what they do and how important they are to their biomes that they live in you know like the gariel last week i i didn't realize they were that endangered and i i kick myself because i used to walk by them all the time at the san antonio zoo when i was helping volunteer and do some work there and i just never appreciated them like i do now you know so thanks to our listeners and hopefully what we, what Angie and I do help you go out and appreciate these animals more. Yes, you definitely need the palace's cat in your life if you're not familiar. <laughs> it's a very beautiful, unique, grumpy, but beautiful looking cat and with, with personality to boot. Well, I think we should jump into it and describe them because we keep saying it. And, you know, I'll just start off on the size and, and, and they look bigger than they are because they have those dense coats that we're going to talk about in the fur. But in reality, they're about the size of a domestic cat. Yeah, about four to 11 pounds or two to five kigs. Ah, yeah, they're not, they're not super big. They're not super big. No, but they do look rounder and puffier mm -hmm. because, because of the hair. And it, it, and, and their body is very round looking. It almost reminds me of like a raccoon's body. 
as far as being round, but it really is just the hair because the palace cat's really cool in that there's a huge variation in coat color depending on where they live. And along with a variation, they have a summer coat and a winter coat. And so the winter coat is the one that I focus the most on because that's when they look just the most adorable, just like a big poofy puffball. And that coat is going to be more gray in color in general, whereas the palace's cat summer coat will be more brown, orange in color and way less poofier. So when I, some of the videos I found were shot when the palace's cat, it must've been summertime and, and their body is so less fluffy where yeah. it's, they, they almost look skinny to me. I was like, oh, they mm-hmm, need to eat mm-hmm. some food. But it, it's not that they were skinny. It's just that they look so different in, in size because a lot of the hair goes away and they have this, their, I call it their summer dress on or their summer coat on. But in general, to help further describe the palace's cat's coat is it's gray in color. Some call it grizzled because there is a little bit of white in there and maybe even a little tints of red and orange mixed in. Really, really beautiful. But there's also throughout their body from pretty much their shoulder all the way through their tail, there's subtle black stripes in it. And they become a lot more obvious when they get to the base of the tail. And so then that almost, they almost in some ways remind me of a raccoon tail, but very narrow, mm-hmm, thin mm-hmm. black stripes. And then the, the tip of their tail is solid black. And their tail is like nothing I've ever seen before because it's so poofy. It just yeah. looks like, it's so I don't great. know. If, I, I'd have to look at it, compare it to like a snow leopard tail that, of course, has a poofy, fluffy tail as well. Mm-hmm. But this this tail is just it almost looks like a like an honestly like a cat tail, like the plant where yeah. it's just very, very round and mm-hmm. um, uh, cylinder shaped. But at any rate, the palace's cat then also has a couple black spots on their forehead between their ears and they have a whitish color around their eyes, and then a very unique facial marking of two black streaks that leave from their eye and go towards their cheek, and then white in the middle. So they almost look like they have two black mascara streaks running down at an angle from their eyes. It it makes them very unique. It makes their eyes pop. So the palace cat's fur, which is full of subtle colors, Spots on little spots on their heads, streaks around their eyes, around their body is just stunning. I'm not, I'm not able to do it justice. Trust me, got to look. You've got to look it up. But the other features of the palace cat that make it look like this grumpy kitty cat is that they have a relatively flattened face, and their ears are short and set really far apart, really wide apart on their forehead, and they don't really stick very high, like a a normal domestic cat's ears do. So they always almost look like their ears are laid back. And they, when they are hunting and stalking, they will lay their ears down even further to help camouflage themselves. But in general, their ears look like they're laid flat against their head. Do you know the scientific name? Because I'm going to talk about their ears. Octocolobus manual is now their scientific name. It got changed from Felis Manuel to Octocolobus. Do you know what Octocolobus means in Greek? Did you see that? Something about, was it ugly ears or? Yes. Yes. They call them, the poor things are called ugly ears. 
Uh, because they I have think that's little, a that yeah. is not true. Their ears are not ugly, but they for a cat they're different looking, I suppose. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but they're ugly. They're just no, no, unique. Just, mm-hmm. And then, like you said, it's very important to conceal. That's why they think they have shorter, smaller ears than like our typical house cats. So yeah, yeah. so with those shorter ears, rounder ears, the uh, slightly flattened face, they definitely appear a little angrier. Just and they kind of have that. They have that, that. They have that resting cat face, right? Uh, like just like I they're know. angry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But other than that, I mean, they're just beautiful cats. The palace cats' legs are actually shorter. Uh, in fact, they have one of the shortest legs per size of any cat species, which helps them move slow to the ground and stay kind of squatted down. It does not help them run very fast. So. <laughs> There is that. But I loved watching the uh, the Palace's cats on the videos because when they are running or walking, you actually see the underside of their paws. And they, they're they typically like a reddish brown in color. So, it's pre- yeah, it's a pretty unique marking. And the underside, I should have mentioned too, of the Palace's cat, the underside is going to be a little bit lighter in color. Not necessarily white, but more silvery, whitish cream in color. But then, yeah, these these kind of orange high points on their paws when they are running through the grass is pretty cool. And it's just incredible camouflage. I mean, there's certain videos where it's like spot the palace's cat and these rocks. And I'm like, I can't. You can't. You can't. So it's pretty cool. And lastly, Chris, I have to mention the palace's cat's eyes because it is part of their facial features that's really stand out and maybe helps them look more grumpy, more human-like. I'm not sure. But the Palace's cat's pupils are round, and the irises are like an orange-yellow-gold color, which yep. that's not super rare for a cat. But when we think of our domestic cats and their pupils, they're slits, and they yep. run more vertical, whereas this Palace's cat has this round pupil that's just like in your face, and I think it makes them look a little more grumpier. Yeah, yeah it probably doesn't. That, that that they actually share that with the larger wildcats, so tigers, right, yeah, right, lions, yeah, 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 mm-hmm. yeah. So and then, of course, the palace palaces cats have whiskers like all the felids. Yeah, and I think they're saying something like the the rounder eyes are better for ambush hunters, you know. So where you know, maybe the slits are more not. I I think that, you know there's a lot of debate in why the eyes are different. So. Yeah, I watched a whole video on it, and I, not a, a part of a video on it, and it they think that it might have something to do with whether they're ambush hunting or stalking or mm-hmm, mm-hmm. running, but that the palace's cats didn't necessarily fit the norm. So, yeah, what, uh, yeah. but their their eyes are stunning. Their eyes yeah. are beautiful, <laughs> grumpy, 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 and grumpy. Yes. So I I think one of the reasons this came up in my head to do as a species was because there was a report that they discovered palace cats or their scat on Mount Everest. And I remember reading that like, oh, my goodness, like, you know, Mount Everest, huge, up you know, almost 30,000 feet in the air. I, I don't know what that is on meters off the top of my head. But they did find evidence of palace's cat around 16 to 17,000 feet. Incredible. Just, yes, mind-blowing. Yeah, oh, okay, over 5,000 meters. So mm-hmm. Mount Everest is probably over 10,000 meters, close to it, close to 10,000 meters. So about halfway up Mount Everest, they found evidence of the palace cat. Palace's cat. 
so I thought that was that was that was fascinating. So we do find them in the Himalayas. If you start all the way in the east, in the north, very large range of Mongolia, we'll talk a little bit about the conservation there because in Mongolia they do hunt them for their fur or they do use them for medicinal purposes. Da, 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 da. There's no medicine in a palace's cat, but what what have very large range there. Then going over to Kazakhstan, into China, and parts of Nepal, over into Afghanistan, Iran, and getting around the Caspian Sea. So in Kazakhstan and, and that parts of the world. But they're very fragmented range. So that's one of the, the problems with them is, you know, they th- th- it's not all linked up. You know, they're, they're very fragmented and it's only getting worse with human encroachment on their biome. Now, Palace's cat, very specific habitat, uh, rocky steps, stony areas. Again, if you think about that silvery spotty coat, like the snow leopard, that is why they, 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 they blend in really well. They blend in really well to their environment to be these ambush hunters that they are. We find them up altitudes of 5,000 meters, what we just talked mm-hmm. about, 16, 17,000 feet. But they don't like areas with heavy, heavy snow. So, yes, they are in colder climates, and, and that's why their coats change in the winter, and they do help insulate, but they don't like deep snow, like, say, the links. You well, know, it's we because covered. of those little legs. Yeah, exactly. They, they won't be able to get very far. They won't get to get very far. So, you know, very, very large range in Asia. Oh, I'd love to see one in the wild. They're so hard to spot, but it would be so great. And again, why care about these cats? I mean, these are very important predators. You're going to find out they have a very specific niche on small rodents and pikas. You know, because we did do the Ili pika way back in the day. Those really cute ones that wouldn't even think look real. And they do feed on quite a few of those animals. So they are a, serving a, a, a key role in keeping some of these smaller rodent populations in check. Yeah, the palace's cat is an ecosystem balancer. I mean, as a pre- predator, they regulate these prey populations, mostly of rodents, which we'll talk a lot about, mm-hmm. which is very, very important where they live. And then I have to give a quick shout out to, to my girlfriend, Kimberly. She is, was super excited about our podcast, and she I told her a few weeks ago that we were going to be doing The Palace's Cat. So she did a whole book report on The Palace's Cat to help me generate some information. And I really appreciate all of her time and energy because it does take a village <laughs> with doing this podcast, bringing live content every week. But she pointed out in some of her notes the cultural significance of The Palace's Cat. And so because of its wide range, as Chris mentioned, in some of the cultures, the palace's cat is considered a sacred animal and it holds a really important cultural and spiritual significance. So it's very valuable not only for its role in the ecosystem, but also to many local people from the different regions where it's from. Yeah, thanks, Kim. Yeah, no, that's that's great. Uh, do a little bit of research and... I know. I told her, I'm like, I'm like, maybe I'll interview you and see how well you do and and, uh, put it on a a Patreon or something like that. (laughs) So it is fun to have other people get involved and get really, 
I mean, really excited about these species. And that's you. I mean, that's how you and I are every week. It's it's 10 o'clock at night here. And I'm like, Woo-hoo! like <laughs> yeah. party time. Yeah, yeah. Cat. And so it's it's fun to, sh- to share that love and spread that with other people that want to spend a little bit of their free time learning mm-hmm. about all these cool creatures. So. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, they're just, they're amazing. And I think we have a special guest that wants to talk about them a little bit, right? Yes, we do have a special guest. Shall I go get him? All right. I want to welcome back to the podcast, John. It's been a while. How are you? Hey, good. I'm doing well. How are you? Good, 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 good. So Angie mentioned that you had worked with palace cats. Palaces cats. Is, are we saying it right? Is it palaces or palaces? We always said palaces cats. Okay, Palace's cats said you had a chance to work with them. I don't know. You want to just talk about where you worked with them? How many? Was it just one, two male feet? Right. So, so I worked with them at Lincoln Park Zoo in Chicago. I worked with three males, and I'll probably need I don't know one of my former coworkers to write in the 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 show, mm-hmm. respond to the show with their names because I don't know all their names. <laughs> it's been I a while. But I, I remember one of them. His name was Grumpy. Grumpy Cat. So we had three male cats. Mm-hmm. And yeah, they were uh, really interesting to work with. It was it was a challenge. They are a challenging cat to work with. So are they as grumpy as they look? They, I hate to stereotype. I hate to stereotype. But one was named Grumpy. And there was a reason for that. They So... So they do look grumpy. They do act grumpy. They're skittish. They're just, mm-hmm. think about it. They're, they're small cats. And yeah, cats are carnivores. They're, they're predators, but they're small. They're tiny. They are preyed upon by other cats. Mm-hmm. You know, they're always on the lookout. They're always on defense. They're always, this is pretty skittish. And, you know, one of their only defenses, because they're just so fluffy and cute, is that big old attitude of theirs, you know? So... I mean, they are, but there's a reason for it, you know, but mm-hmm. yeah, they are. Well, I, I think grumpy. a lot of a cat owners can probably <laughs> commiserate that we've all had uh, grumpy cats or cats that, that didn't want to be touched. But yeah. So uh, talking about housing, them, can you talk a little bit about their conservation or why you guys were holding them there? Because they are experiencing a lot of challenges you know we mentioned that a little bit already yeah so they're definitely they definitely have a lot of challenges a lot of the small cats do so we were holding males so obviously you know there was no breeding going on but that's that's part of what we do as aza zoos is we hold animals in various gender combinations so it was it was a little bit of a trial right it was this trial of seeing if we can hold three males so that other places could just hold a male and a female and then breed, right? Because there's not always a place for every animal to go into a breeding situation, or we may not have the correct gender ratios. So, yeah, so it's kind of interesting. And again, I, I always appreciated it because it's we're we're trying something, we're trying to help the population out, but it did make it a challenge. I think it made it an extra challenge to work with them with three males. I mean, they're, they're solitary. So, you know, they don't need a lot of room, which is great. So we had small, er, habitats, which again, 
to be responsible, the facility was trying to bring smaller species into these smaller habitats. And Mm so, you know, they didn't require a ton of room and well, they didn't use it either. It was sort of a rock ledge in the, on the back of the habitat. And that's where they were there every day. They're up at the top of the rock ledge, just hiding out and you could barely see them. So the idea is, oh, people could see this, this cat and learn about them and be inspired by them. But the reality is they just, they did not, it was tough for people to connect to them because they couldn't see them. They did not display well at all. So they've got a, again, there's a huge need for conservation. It's just hard. It was hard to connect the guests to these cats. When they could see them, of course, everybody was like, oh, wow, they're so cute. They're so, you know, oh, they're cute. You know, and so, yeah, that's something. Then you have to go down the road of the, you know, pet ownership sort of situation. Right. Where it's like, well, yes, they are cute. You don't want to own them as a pet. You know, I was going to ask you, are they, yeah. these be good pets or not? Not good pets. Not <laughs> no. good. This is, I tell people all the time, like, I get that you're connected to animals. I get that you love animals. You should own a domestic cat or a domestic dog. Those are the animals you should own because those are the animals have, that have been bred mm-hmm. for years and years and years to be companions to humans. And, you know, one, we could even have a whole discussion on whether a domestic cat is even a good companion to humans, <laughs> you know, like whether they even care or not. There's some really interesting stuff about domestication when it comes to cats and dogs. But regardless, so so let's just say that for a second. Like your your domestic cat at home is is barely domesticated and barely cares about you. Mm. These guys are farther down the spectrum and really <laughs> don't care about you and really don't want to be near you. You know, they no. just want they just want to hide. That's all mm-hmm. they want to do. They just want to hide and stay out of everybody's way. Yeah. And do their own thing and 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 hunt and and things like that. One of the the quotes that came up in my research was uh, from the Cincinnati Zoo. And they mentioned, I don't know if this would surprise you or not, but they, they said zookeepers, they had a, a new litter of newborn palaces cats. And they thought they were having difficulty breathing. But when they listened closely, they realized that the noise they were hearing were the kittens growling and hissing at each other before they even opened their eyes. Uh, that's awesome. I hadn't heard that one. That's amazing. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, these guys were, I mean, they do steal your heart a little bit just because they are, mm. it's it's like they're so grumpy that they, mm. they do steal your heart a little bit. But man, yeah, they just, I just remember the feats we would have to go through to just, sh- to just shift them on a, on mm-hmm. a daily basis, just to move them from their habitat to the, the holding area on a daily basis. I mean, they just, they didn't want to be looked at, you know, they, they didn't mm-hmm. want to be lo- like when you look at them. As a big predator, yeah. they just froze, and they have mm. their big eyes on you, and they just froze. And then, if you literally, if you looked away, they would like slink a little bit more. You look at them, they freeze. It just was, it was ridiculous. And they had their own dynamic, because again, three males, so they mm-hmm. had their own inter, inter uh, species or group dynamic, and so you had to work through that. And you know, so we had to bring them in, and then separate them out. And boy, it was a lot. It was a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Do you, I mean, how did training go with them? Because I mean, I don't know people that haven't been behind the scenes at, at zoos, accredited zoos. You know, you do a lot of training so you can check their health, check their weights. Uh, you know, again, you're trying to give them the best care, the best quality of life you can. So you have to do a lot of extra stuff that people don't see. How did that go with them? 
It didn't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> say, uh, uh, it didn't. I mean, we, yeah. So to, to get weights on them, we put a scale near the door. Mm-hmm. And so they, you know, had to step on it or stand on it before, or, you know, usually, usually it's best like before they leave, before they go out. But again, they're so skittish that we could get it, but it was more, it was more captured it mm-hmm. versus really trained it. Because yeah, so we did, we did a ton of training with a lot of cats and, a lot of the cats there, all the cats there. Cats are very motivated. They're mm-hmm. they're carnivores, so they they're food motivated. They're prey drive. There's a lot of stuff going on there that make them fairly. Um, I don't want again. I never want to say easy to train, but they're they're a little bit more amicable to being trained. These cats were not even close because yeah. they just they wouldn't even eat. They didn't want to eat in front of you. You put their food down. They're not going to eat until you go. So. It's difficult to train them. They do something you want them to do. You provide them food as a reinforcer, but they're not. Going it doesn't to work. Eat it. Yeah, it, <laughs> I mean, it doesn't work. So, and it just it just really became a a balance of of time. Really, I mean, again, we only have so much time in our day, and mm-hmm. you could do a five minute training session with one of the other cats and make a heck of a lot of progress. Well, you could sit there with these guys for like 15 minutes and and Nothing. be pretty much where you started. Yeah. So um, yeah. some of that was the, yeah. kind of that that decision was made. But again, you know, just a they are just a fascinating cat. They are a great yeah. cat. It's it's they, like I said, they do grab your heart a little bit. But man, they were a challenge. I mean, that's what I learned mm-hmm. is that lots of animals pose lots of different challenges. And I, I, you know, how about this without actually thinking about it before this interview for long, but this is probably the most challenging species I ever worked with. Yeah. Yeah. More than the panda. (laughs) The panda had their own challenges. They just, that was just a logistical and a a work challenge. It was, that was just a lot of, uh, so as a, as a species, Mm -hmm. again, the panda was not as challenging. Yeah, they were certainly, they were absolute divas and they were absolutely picky and that was kind of challenging. But you like, you could still work with them. Like, you could train mm-hmm. pandas. They, they were mm-hmm. like, just like any other mm-hmm. animal training. But these cats were absolute challenge. And again, not because they were particularly dangerous or feisty, mm-hmm. just they would absolutely test every every nerve. They would test every bit of patience that you have. Yeah, very skittish and, and isolated and yeah, I could just see, I could see that. I could see that with them, especially with their niche out in, yeah. in nature, you know, where they belong. But, but again, these are, these are cats that are heading towards extinction. So keeping these, you know, do a little plug for the zoos again. We did it last week with the gharials. If it wasn't for zoos, I think gharials would be extinct. You know, I, th- I think they'd yeah. be nearly extinct. And yeah. here we are with, with the palaces cat and, and they are near threatened with extinction. So yeah things stay the same, they will go extinct. So, you know, what you guys were doing was important. Yeah, it, it is. It, it was important. And again, um, zoos, and they, they're still working at it. And and again, the the fact that zoos are, are supporting conservation efforts in the wild and they're mm-hmm. supporting habitat preservation, they're supporting specific species. I mean, that's the stuff that really makes the difference. And again, every visitor, everybody that comes to a zoo, they make a difference. They, they go to an AZA zoo. You are helping to make a difference just by going to AZA zoos. And then yeah. all of you guys out there who are in zoos, who are listening, 
you guys are making a difference every single day yeah. just by engaging the public, just just taking that time as as challenging as that, that could be as well, taking that time every day to gauge every single member of the public fully and, you know, and and spread the word, spread the love, you know, spread the interest about all the species we have and that we have to we, we're taking care of and and doing our part for. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thanks for giving us a little insight into the palaces, cat. I, I I've got a little bit on domestication here, so that, that would be a little bit interesting. But yeah, I know you need to go get Angie. So we're going to yeah. take a quick break, and we'll be right back. Yeah. Well, thanks, Chris. Thanks for inviting me on. And again, this one this one goes out to you, Grumpy. Appreciate all your <laughs> pre- pre- appreciate you teaching me. Appreciate it. But thanks to you guys. Thanks for what you do. But yeah, have a good. Thanks, John. All right, welcome back, Angie. It's uh, it was great it's to talk me. to John. Yeah, it was great. It's yeah, it's always he he had the hands-on experience. That's for sure. Working with Pals's cat, so. But it's such an uh, obscure animal. Like you just wouldn't think. Not know. a lot of zoos have them. Mm-hmm. That is mm-hmm. it, that is true. So because of some of the reasons he mentioned. Yeah, I know. Very <laughs> difficult. Very difficult to work with. Mm-hmm. So shy, so elusive, but so damn cute. Like they're just amazing, amazing creatures. To get through evolution, always enjoy talking about cats. The orders carnivores, you know, nearly 280 species. Uh, Suborder is the Filiformia. These are our cat-like carnivores, 114 species. Then We've got you, lots to cover then. Yes, there's a lot of them. And then you get specifically into cats, the Felidae. And we have the family of Felidae with 41 species. And then the subfamily, we had the panther panthers, the pantherinae. Those are the big cats. We've covered tigers, lions, jags, snow leopards, leopards. I may revisit some of them in the future. But this other subfamily, the felinae, these are the small kitties that can purr. Mm-hmm. That's the palace cat. Yeah. And I always ask you which cat we think's big that we think bullying belongs with the panthers but or the panthernae but doesn't but purse i ask you this every time i got for this I do. <laughs> well one day i'll get it right i've got oh, it. Um, yeah we haven't covered one in, in, in i don't know how many 60 70 episodes but it's the one cat that purrs that you were like wow it purrs hmm it's not they're tigers pretty, they're pretty fast cheetahs yeah, the cheetahs yes you should have did the teardrop. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that, mm-hmm. It's just the fastest animal on, on land. Yeah. So, okay. The cheetahs. Yeah. I don't expect that. And this is like the 10th time you've asked me. So Probably. And I'll, ask, and I'll ask it again. Let me cover another cat. <laughs> so, yeah. Lots of fun cats in this in this family. The caracals we still got to cover. The felis, which has a bunch of cats. The sand cat, black-footed cat, our domestic kitties, the European wild cat. That's where the palace cat used to be, but it's not. It's its its, its own genus now. Jagarundis, that's one we got to cover. Yes, in South America. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's an obscure one. That We really got to do that one. And then the leopardus, you, so you've got ocelot, pampas cat, Joffrey's cat, Andean mountain cat, southern tiger cat. So they got that genus. Then you have the serval. Then the lynx, which are amazing. I, Angie, I've seen pictures of lynx. Their feet are just so massive. 
just no shoes. Mm-hmm. No shoes. Yeah. They're amazing. The marbled cat, its own little genus. And then obviously we have the octocolobus with the ugly ears. The poor things are Pallas's cat. So lots of fun. Oh gosh, more coming. The the leopard cats, the fishing cats we covered, rusty spotted cat. I want to cover the Scottish wildcat. Yes, yes, I do. We do. We do. So I think we need to cover that. I've, I've read about them critically endangered. They're, we're doing some reintroductions in Scotland. So I think that's that one is, is on our list somewhere in the cats to do. Uh, so many. Now, the interesting thing about the palaces cat is there is two subspecies. Because again, they have this massive range. So you do have the ones, you know, Central Asia from Iran, Central Asia, Mongolia. You have the subspecies and then you have the ones in the Himalayas and down in Bhutan and Nepal area, another subspecies. So right now there's two recognized subspecies of them. Evolution, we've done this quite a bit with cats. All the, We've done a lot of cats. So again, quick, quick recap. The myocids about 60 million years ago emerge. You know, it's this civet looking, martin looking type uh, carnivore. Existed for quite a long time, up to about 28 million years ago. You know, so so a good 30 million years, this was a, a very successful predator. But what's interesting about the myocids is at some point, about 40 million, 45 million years ago, in between that time frame, this is where you get the feliforms. And the caniforms breaking, so are cats and dogs. So you have a divergence in evolution of the two species types. So then you have the ones that go off to be cats and the ones that go off to be dogs. And it's been very successful for 40 million years and all their different types of cats and dogs that that have done really well. The earliest cat-cat-like species appears about 30 million years ago in Asia. And then you have this large radiation of cat-like species about 11 million years ago. They go to the Americas, all the way down to the southern tips of South America, into Europe, into Africa. Again, clouded leopards, probably one of the most ancient of the cat species still alive. They diverged first from a common ancestor about 9 million years ago at the latest. Interesting, the Palace's cat wasn't too far behind them where it diverged almost 8 million years ago. It's 5 to 8 million years based on DNA. So in that time frame is when the palace's cat went off to become what they are today. Not a lot's changed since then. So again, a, a, a very successful predator, evolutionary speaking. Now, Looking at their closest relatives based on DNA, the the fishing cat that we've covered, the leopard cat, flat-headed cat, rusty-spotted cat, they're the closest to, to them, but they're their own family, the uh, pre-anolaris family, right? Yeah, still pretty far away. Yeah, yeah, six million years. Yeah, six million years ago. And so... We can deduce that they're even further away from our domestic kitties, right? Yes, 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 yes. Now, John brought it up a little bit in our talk about, you know, how Palace's cats would be an awful, awful pet. It's not 
one you would even want to try to have as a, as a pet. So I did do a little bit, and now I'm going to, the next time we do a cat, maybe I'll do a little deeper dive in this because I know there has been some discussion. Are our domestic cats really that domesticated? You know, some of them are really lovey-dovey. You know, Bear Bear, he's your, your cat's lovey-dovey, yes, right? She's she's pretty, she's pretty good. Bear Bear is, is pretty, pretty loving. So more so than others I've met. Yeah. But yeah. the most lovey-dovey cat I've ever had was Buster and our long-haired gray kitty Phoenix. She loved all of my babies so much that mm. whenever I had them on a baby on my lap, she was right on there. the boppy pillow right next to me. Yes. Yeah. It, up yeah. in our business. But she more she got more social in her later years, especially mm-hmm. when the kids came into the picture. Mm-hmm. She just tolerated me. She like John tolerated me, but loved the babies. Love, love the babies. So, yeah, so that, yeah. it's almost like they're still being domesticated. It might be taking a little bit longer than sure. say, mm-hmm. dogs, you know, who lay on most of them. <laughs> My two, right. two, for sure. Never yeah. close enough. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. So what we know, about 10,000 years ago is when cats were starting to become domesticated. Probably were somewhat hanging around. Some of these smaller cats were hanging around human settlements. But uh, the earliest remains we have dates back about that time. On Cyprus, they found a human skeleton with a cat skeleton. So they're Mm. thinking that was like a pet that died with the human. DNA evidence, really interesting. And, And we see this in other species, domestication events all around the world where you're seeing cats being domesticated in different spots. So you have in the, the that Felis genus, you have subsets of cats that, that were domesticated in Europe, China, Central Asia, Africa, and the Middle East. So at these multiple spots, you have cats hanging out with humans, being fed by humans, probably being less fearful of humans. Unlike the palaces cat that John was saying, they're so fearful of them. Mm-hmm. So those are the cats that that ended up becoming quote unquote pets or companions uh, with with humans. I thought this was interesting looking at this, and I'm just going to kind of cut it off here. And then the future cat episode, I'll do a little bit more digging on it. Most of our cat breeds did not arise until the last like 150 years. So there was just general cats, and then we got more into different cat breeds in the last century and a half. So we started seeing all these different types of cats, where I think dogs were a little bit different. Maybe uh, when we do our next dog species, I'll look at a little bit more in domestication and breeds. When did the breeds start really coming up? But cats, really, all the different breeds, it's all new. So... Anyways, fascinating stuff with that. Getting back just specifically on the palace's cat, lives to be about nine years or so in the wild or under human care is what I found. But if you had to guess, I found this stat. Sorry, I was still on the domestic track. How old do you think the world's oldest cat would be? Guinness Book World Records. Mm Well, gosh, I saw a 30-year-old dog that's still alive. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Recently, that just... Took, I think, the Guinness World Book of Records. It was a medium sized breed from Portugal. Okay. Uh, yeah. 
Anyways, so cat, uh, I'm gonna say similar. I'll say thirty. That that close, okay, a little bit. Thirty eight. Wow. Okay. Years yeah. and three days. Cream puff Aww, was a domestic cat in Texas, the United States. She was the oldest cat ever recorded. She was born in 1967 and died in 2005. So, cream puff lived pretty long. 38 years for a domestic cat. That's pretty rare. You That's know, they, very rare. That's yeah, long. 15 to 20 is really for domestic cats, right? Like, yeah, dogs. Dogs, hopefully 15, 16 years. If you're, that's that's on the high end. That's, yeah, that's the high end. Dog. I know. I know. Larger dogs. I know. Not, so not as long. It breaks my heart when they they go across the rainbow bridge. But palace cat nine years. Yeah, Chris. I read. I read like nine to twelve years. But they think mm-hmm. in the wild it's half of that. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, it's tough. So that's really tough out there because they're small. You know, can't get picked off. And one of the things is they're not the fastest cat. I I looked. I could not find the speed because I don't even know if we have it. <laughs> how fast yeah, they are. Yeah, they probably haven't tracked it, actually. That's uh, a good question. Uh, but they're not known to be that fast, no, because of those no. stubby little legs. Yeah, but they're they're good ambush predators. I'm, I'm sure they're quick. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they can move their bodies fast, but just out of, running on a straightaway is not, no, no. not that's not their forte. Yeah, they're not going to be chasing things now. They're not a cheetah. No. <laughs> no. They watch the cheetah run by and go, okay, good luck. They do have the pretty eye markings, not at not the teardrops that, that the cheetahs have, but theirs are more on the, the side of their eyes. Like mascara, it's really cool. Well, and you think about, okay, so like we're going to talk about their coats. Living in this mountainous terrain, it's, it's cold, like minus yeah. 30. Yeah. Minus yeah. 50. Yeah. I think you would die in Florida. And they're happy. <laughs> they're like, yeah, awesome. Yeah. They don't want a lot of snow, like you mentioned. But no, no. They just hole up in their den and just hang out. It's crazy. Well, it's it, when you look at their their fur, their coat, it's actually the, the densest of any cat. And the longest, longest for their size. Obviously, mm-hmm. yeah. a lion's yeah. mane is going to be really long, but they're much yeah. bigger. Yeah, 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 for their size. But you thinking about it in body ratios, that's why they're poofy. In the winter, yeah. like when you described them. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, very, very important to keep them warm. I even read that they can, that, that poofy tail they can use to, to wrap, to, to keep, keep them warm. Mm-hmm. I just love that image of them wrapped up. Yeah. Snuggle with that tail. Yeah. And like a little perfect circle. Yeah. But they're, but Chris, you're right. The, the palace's cat's fur is soft and it's dense. It has about 9,000 hairs per centimeter squared or that's about 58,000 hairs per inches squared so that's some that's some thick hair yeah and of course they have a they they have a double coat and so the underfur of the palace's cat is 40 millimeters or 1.6 inches long and 19 micrometers thick where the guard hairs of the palace's cat is 69 millimeters, 2.7 inches long, which is pretty long, and 93 micrometers thick on, along its back. So really dense. I mean, that that's that's some beautiful fur there. And that's why they're hunted for it, Un- unfortunately. unfortunately. yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. like the lynx. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, don't wear fur, please. Ugh. Not even fake fur. Just don't don't support it. Don't support it at all. 
And earlier, we already talked about their round pupils, right? That's very unique to them, unlike the other cats in the felis family. The, they have a nicotating membrane, third eyelid, that helps against the cold or some of this arid, dusty environments that they live in. So that was interesting. And just the general physiology of, of a cat with the retractable claws the teeth, the digestive system. I mean, these are carnivores. Yes, Chris. The palace's cat is a carnivore and they are an incredible hunter and they actively hunt each day. In fact, on a good day, a palace's cat will catch about five rodents a day to help it stay warm. And they are good at hunting, but of course, hunting is hard, especially when you're preying on gerbils, voles, pikas or pikas and other small mice-like rodents and birds like the chukar partridge. One in three attempts is typically successful. That's about their batting average for mm. when they're hunting. So you know, they, they expend a lot of energy catching the different prey. And of course, they love, I think one study found that the pikas or the pikas typically made up over half of a palace's cat's diet. But they, there has been fish found in some of their scat, beetles, grasshoppers, gerbils, other passerine birds. So, I mean, they're, they're generalists, but they t- tend to stick with rodents when possible. Well, we just covered, you know, the largest rodent in the world, the capybara. And what, 40% of all mammals are, are rodents or something like that. So yeah. Yeah, a lot of them out there. And that's why we need these cats out there. To, yeah, I thought it was really cool that high up in the mountains, I guess I didn't realize how many small rodents live up there as well. So pretty cool stuff. But the palace's cat is definitely a specialized predator. And unlike lions or cheetahs that are known to stalk and then chase their prey down a lot, the palace's cat, typically only catches its prey by ambush hunting. And they'll do this by stalking, creeping really low up to its prey, which is pretty good because they've got those squatty little legs and amazing camouflage and those they flatten their ears down even more than they already are so that the prey can't see them. And they just will move very slowly and then pounce. Or They'll lay in wait, like blend into the rocks, and then the bird just kind of flies by, and they just they just snatch it. I was watching all these really cool videos. So they're definitely the ambush hunters, but they also have a really cool strategy for hunting a lot of these voles and other mouse-like creatures, where they will just stay blending in right at the exit of the burrows to some of these rodents, and they just wait and wait, and then. When the little creature comes out, well, bam. So those are the two styles of ambush, three, two or three styles of ambush hunting tactics that they use. And they typically will not chase after a prey because a mouse or a rodent or vole will always win. Because as Chris mentioned, we don't know exactly how fast the palace's cat is on, on the straightaway, but it's definitely not as fast as one these small rodents. So they don't have a chance. So they ambush is really their only shot that they have, and they're, they're and they're pretty darn good at it. Yeah, yeah. With that rate, I I, I remember God, way back in the lion episode, I think it was, or one of the predators. We had a really low 
like 10%, I think. Maybe it was a cheat up, so I'd have to go back and-, and Oh, hunting rate? The, yeah, rate. it was mm-hmm. really low. It was really low compared to you know small cats. Now, looking at what hunts them, you know, uh, wolves and snow leopards and other medium-sized cats, eagles. It's not easy being a palace's cat. That's what John was saying. They're like, they're so- timid in this in the sense that they freeze you know they couldn't shift while you were there you had to leave for them to shift over Mm -hmm. yeah i mean just very difficult to work with because they're so shy i guess is a good thing so they've they've really evolved i mean for millions of years rightfully so to avoid something bigger than them that might eat them so Mm -hmm. yeah but being so elusive behavior wise what do we know Well, Chris, not as much as probably a lot of these other species of felids, like their cousins, the lion and the snow leopard, because they really are difficult to find and study in the wild. And I mentioned earlier about the photographer waiting for 20 days to just catch a glimpse of a palace's cat on on a rock in the Himalayas. So very, very elusive. But also palace's cats have this huge range or territory. So it's thought that a typical male palace's cat will have a, a range or territory of 39 square miles. Right. And not only that, they typically don't live near each other. So they live in what's called very low densities. So what researchers think is it's about four to eight palace's cats per 100 square kilometers. So a couple people on the internet did the math and the analogy with that and basically said that low stocking density because of their big territories and how how low their density is that that would be like in the city of toronto only having 25 to 30 people spread out through the whole city oh wow <laughs> right so yeah yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. It's- Pale's cat doesn't necessarily mind that because they are solitary. They they like being by themselves. They only come together briefly for breeding. So they are very, very fine being alone, high up in the elevation in the rocks, just doing their thing. Mm-hmm. But but it makes studying them hard. And so that's I think too why I I kind of dorked out a lot this week on all the different videos that I was and there are and we'll put some on our show notes. There's a fair amount of really awesome videos that are on YouTube through National Geographic, BBC, some other other wildlife photographers and researchers. Uh, but but just knowing that how long they must have worked to get the footage that they get of not only the adult an adult palace's cat but also there's some really cute videos of all their kittens when they start coming out and learning how to hunt and stuff like that and so uh so we uh, we we are learning more about them i would say in the past 20 years or so i feel like there has uh, the attention has been turned towards them more so and they uh, researchers are trying to learn more about their behavior in the wild what we do know is that palace's cats are typically diurnal. So they're active in the morning, in the evening, and then into the morning. They will often take a cat nap during the day and uh, like later in the day, but spend a lot of their early morning hours hunting. And when it is nap time during the day or, in the, or of course, at night, 
They typically will sleep in either small caves or holes that are in the rocks within the mountainside. The palace cat will often den in burrows that are utilized by other animals, such as badgers, foxes, marmots, things like that. And the palace cat will switch their den around. There was this interesting study in central Mongolia where 29 palaces cats were fitted to have radio collars, which obviously helps the researchers be able to find them because they're so elusive. And this was between June 2005 and October 2007, so close to two years. And during this time, these 29 palaces cats used over 101 dens. Oh, wow. So they have winter dens and summer dens. They have a different den for raising kittens. So they're definitely pretty mobile and will make a den out of either a cave or another burrow or a rock wall or something as needed, depending on what the season is and whether or not they have kittens. So that's a good survival cool. strategy too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they hide. That's, I mean, that's their thing. They're, they are not going to come out unless they're hunting or they feel safe. And as you mentioned, because they, they've evolved to be pretty fearful of anything larger than them, anything that's not naturally in their territory. So even some of these research that researchers that will set up blinds and stuff like that to make the videos and uh, and take great photographs of them, they're they're smart. They know that that that's a tent or a blind that's that wasn't there yesterday, and so the, they'll wait them out. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, they'll they'll definitely wait it out to make sure that it's as safe as possible. And perhaps because the palace's cat is primarily a solitary cat. Uh, they're not as vocal as, say, our lions, right, with the majestic roaring and all that communications. But uh, as probably John mentioned, they, they are vocal and the palace cat will hiss a lot and spit mm-hmm. <laughs> when they're approached mm-hmm. and they're angry. But when they're excited and happy, they'll also yelp. They can growl, too, when they're upset. But what's super fun is they do purr. So they've been observed purring before when they're happy or like when kittens are with their moms and stuff like that. So they're, yeah. So the palace's cat, although not super vocal, definitely has some, some things in common with our domestic kitty friends at home. And the males will also scent Mark a lot to help spray their pheromones around and um, just another vote for why you would not want one as a as a pet, that's for sure. Well, I'm wondering, uh, how do they find each other? <laughs> there's like 25 people in Toronto, like <laughs> meet at Central Park. I don't even know if there's Central Park, Toronto. Excuse me for my Canadian listeners, but uh, you know, meet at the park on here where we're gonna mingle. Well, yes, and to take your analogy a step further, is not only is it. Hard to find a mate when when the, the density is that low stocked, but it's thought currently that female palaces cats only come into estrus once a year for Gosh. like one yeah. to two days. Yeah. So if you're using your Toronto analogy, there's only t- t- 30 of you, so 15 males and 15 females and 100 square kilometers, and you have about 26 to 42 hours. Let's bump into to, each other. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. uh, to make babies. Okay. Yeah. So oh, it, it is, uh, it, 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 this is definitely not helpful to their conservation cause. That's for sure. 
quite honestly, Chris, there's still a lot of mysteries about their reproductive behavior because the cat's elusive. There's a big territory and big distances between them. And then now, uh, as I mentioned, the females are only cycle for like one day a year. Uh, they're they're like the the panda of <laughs> yeah <laughs> of yeah. the felids. Those darn pandas. Same thing. Only one day of estrus a year. Uh, not not a great strategy for making lots of babies, but. What we do know about Pallas's cat's uh, breeding behavior comes from some observations in the wild, some older research, and then, of course, a little bit of analysis um, under human care. But the general consensus is that the Pallas's cat's breeding season will range from December to early March, depending on where they live. Uh, and then the gestation period is around 70 to 75 days. And a female palace cat will give birth to about two to six kittens, although there is research or data of up to eight kittens, which is so darling. And I will mm -hmm. say, I did get stuck on a lot of YouTube videos showing the palace's kittens just out and about being kittens, super adorable, clumsy, learning, you know, learning how to traverse the different terrain and hunt uh, from their, their mom. And so, yes, it's, they, they're darling. I will say you probably haven't lived until you've spent time watching YouTube videos about <laughs> Palace's, Palace's kittens. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> they're pretty stunning, pretty adorable. And so, but the kittens will, they'll hang out of course in the den for a while because they're born like a typical kitten, helpless and blind. And they really only weigh about 300 grams at birth. So they'll typically come out of their dens and start hunting with mom when they're a couple of months old. And that's, like I said, some of the cute videos that I saw of them just, just learning to be how to, how to be an adult palace's cat. And they'll hang out with mom until they're anywhere from six, seven, eight months. And then they'll go out on their own and they'll live their solitary life. and. It's it's thought that the age of sexual maturity in a paleis cat is about one year, so that's a pretty quick turnover. It's just all the hardships growing up as a paleis cat kitten. Though I mean, they can be picked off pretty easily oh, yeah, as well. So they need to make it to adulthood, and then they need to stay alive, feed themselves mm. throughout the harsh winter, and then eventually, when they come into the breeding season the next year, find a male in this very tough, tough terrain. Yeah. Yeah, I mean Himalayas and you know massive ranges and right. Yeah. Oh yeah, the Himal. Well, from deserts to Himalayas mm. to steppes. I mean, they really. Mm. I mean, they're very. They're really flexible cat. And mm. but I think that's too. Why I loved watching all the videos this week. Was seeing that just God is it beautiful over there? Mm -hmm. It is. Oh my goodness! It's a part of the world I definitely want to get oh, to for sure. Yes, um, on my bucket list, absolutely. The, the Mongolia and Bhutan and Nepal and oh, all these beautiful places. But like you said, it, you know, it, it is tough for them. I mean, near threatened. We've talked about it. We talked about they are hunted for their pelts, some medicinal. We don't know their numbers because of this massive range, but we do know it's is heavily fragmented. The steady declines in the 80s when they were, they were widely hunted. Now right. that's been pretty much curtailed. They still are. I would hunted. say it's banned, They're, isn't it? Yeah, but I think they still do some hunting in Mongolia, other places. So, 
you know, it, life is tough for them. It, it really is tough for them. And, uh, you know, it's good. The Lincoln Park Zoo has them or had mm-hmm. them. And there are some breeding programs. Again, that that life raft of a species under human care and much to learn about them. But it makes me think, is, is there a palace's cat organization out there or, or, or who who's out there protecting these animals? Well, we we have to give a huge shout out to the accredited zoos that do care for Palace's cats and keep them as part of uh, the species survival plan. As of 2018, 60 zoos in North America, Russia, Europe, and Japan uh, help participate in some of these captive breeding programs. So hats off to them. And in 2011, a female Palace's cat was artificially inseminated from a male at the Cincinnati Zoo. So the zoos are really doing their best to learn more about their reproduction, about how to best conserve them. But it's still hard. There's still a lot of unknowns, like John mentioned during during his talk. But as far as an organization goes, yes, I have to give a big shout out to the Royal Zoological Society of Scotland, which I think is even more of a sign that we need to uh, to cover the Scottish wildcat. <laughs> all right, all right. It's on the list. It's Scotland, the list. yeah, that's uh, being called the Scotland, which is a beautiful country. When I've I've been there before, so. But anyways, the Royal Zoological Society of Scotland has a team that works as the Palace's Cats International Conservation Alliance, also known as PICA, and uh, their website with all the wonderful work that they are doing for Palace's Cats can be found at www palacecats.org, which is P-A-L-L-A-S-C-A-T-S.org. And the mission of palacescat.org, or the Palaces Cats International Conservation Alliance, PICA, is to improve the understanding of the species and at the same time enhance global conservation efforts. And They do this in several ways by creating education and awareness, uh, long-term insurance of captive-held populations. They are currently researching behaviors, activities, and pathogens. They fundraise to help support field projects. They raise the global profile of this cat, and they build long-term conservation. So definitely go to uh, www.palacecats.org to learn more about the current research that they're doing, which is just really incredible. They're doing like a lot of uh, camera traps, which is probably a really good way to learn more about the population of the spe- these species because they are so shy. Uh, and then that way it's, you know, it's a pretty non-invasive way to learn about their population. But several different field studies, tons of education programs for locals in the different areas where they can be found. So I was really impressed with their website and I'm you know, thankful for the Royal Zoological Society of Scotland uh, for putting this team of specialists together and for the team for having a beautiful website and for doing what they do to help educate everyone and conserve uh, the, the Palace's cat. So yeah. I was very happy mm-hmm. to see that and uh, that mm-hmm. there's so mm-hmm. many, you know, there are a lot of people fighting for this cat, trying to bring awareness uh, and try, just trying to learn more about them so we can help save them. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's great work they're doing. I, I've been to Scotland too. Love it. Uh, love the people there. 
And I think that is one on the list to, to see the critically endangered. And I know there's some reintroduction efforts. Oh, the going. Scottish wildcat. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. And, and it's, you know, interesting discussion on some of this rewilding, especially in predators. We've talked in previous episodes how difficult it can be. So I think that would be a good one for us to, to do a little bit of research and come back to the listeners and tell them this is how they're doing it. This is how they're, they're showing them how to hunt, how to survive in these environments. Cause I think a big, you and I, and I, and I've got somebody coming on soon, getting the interview scheduled on rewilding. It, I think that's the big hot topic this year for us, you know, in the podcast. I and think tell, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Telling these rewilding stories and, you know, the Sumatran rhino and, and some of these other big species. How are they doing it now that this pandemic is, it's there, but it's 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 mainly over and travel's happening again. So these scientists are able to to get around the world and work with the locals and and get these animals reestablished and and protected. So uh, conservation tip: uh, whenever we talk cats, spay or neuter your cat. End of story. Feral cats are death to a lot of native birds, native species. So we really got to be careful on these animals breeding outside of you know our homes or whatever. So anyways, that's always my, my tip when we talk about that. If you love cats, like a lot of us do, I love cats. Just, we've done so many, but we got many to go. Going way back, episode five, leopards. Don't listen to that one. Uh, episode 53, <laughs> lions was pretty good. We had a, did a two-parter episode uh, 83 and 85 on tigers. And then we had Sonarto. Uh, it was a wonderful interview, WWF who's protecting tigers uh, in my part of the world. Episode 102, cheetahs, 153, jaguars, 240, clouded leopards, 257, Eurasian lynx, 263, snow leopards. And it was only about 24 episodes ago, 25 episodes ago, we did fishing cats. So a big list of cats, but they're all different, all different niches, different parts of the world. I mean, the lynx, I, I loved that episode talking about the links like fishing cats were cool like oh just fun so go back and check those out if you haven't already but thank you angie thank you for staying up late thank you for john staying up late to talk to oh, us oh anytime oh it was like i said it was so fun i'm i'm pumped up about it they're just a fun species to talk about to learn about to share with everyone so thank you for listening listen learn share join the movement at allcreaturespod.com.